0: you're listening to mission lab mission lab from our living new man here's our parents sean and camille brace Guten Tag and hello everybody. This is Mission Lab episode 81 coming to you from stormy Bangor, Maine. I'm Sean Brace. As you already know, it has been a very long, let's see, almost two months since we last checked in. And even then I cheated and gave you a sermon that I preached. But uh, today we're going to be talking about something that I'm really, really, really excited about. The title of this podcast episode, as you already know, is Ellen White Hates Tradition or How I Became Liberal. Um, This is sort of tongue-in-cheek, the the title of the the episode. Certainly the second part is tongue-in-cheek to some degree, because I think that there would be a lot of people who would in no way classify me as a liberal. All these terms are very relative, of course, but uh, some people would think I'm a raging liberal. Other people would think I'm still incredibly conservative. But I just want to share with you some of the thinking that I have been thinking. Is that Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Some of the thinking I've been thinking. Um, Over the last few years, I've kind of hinted at it here and there, but I I just really want to share with you something that has absolutely blown my mind. Um, Recently, just this last weekend, in fact, I was interacting with a friend of mine, and she was, I'll keep her anonymous, Jessica. She was asking me... uh, you know, how is it that my views came to be broadened? Because I think most people who know me from my younger days, I'm not young anymore, would say I was a little more closed-minded and maybe quote-unquote conservative and I was judgmental. And now I'm not as much, although I'm probably just as much judgmental, but My judgment is more towards those who are traditionalists and conservatives and so forth. So I still need growth. But um, anyway, I shared a few thoughts with her and then I got to thinking some more. And I realized that one of the big reasons that my mind has been broadened is this is going to come as a shock and surprise for perhaps many people is because of my close reading of. Ellen Gould White. That's right, Ellen White. Um, now, I need to share a word just for some of our perhaps casual listeners, perhaps for those who are not Seventh-day Adventists. There are a few I am aware that are listening who are not Seventh-day Adventists. So what's the deal with this Ellen White thing? I'm not going to try to belabor this point for long because the This is already going to be an incredibly long episode. But Ellen White is a person that Seventh-day Adventists have historically held in high regard. Um, She was one of the founders of our denomination. And she was from the great state of Maine. Yay for Maine. Uh, And she actually, I may have shared this before, but she and her husband James actually originally met in Orrington, Maine, which is where my brother-in-law Cameron and his wife Ellie live, where we actually gather each week for our missional community meeting. And that's where Ellen and James met, not in our missional community meeting, but uh, there in that town. But anyway, I digress. So Ellen had a very particular uh, ministry and she, some call her a prophet. Some call her a messenger. So that's what she herself called herself. Um, I, you know, I, am comfortable with just saying, yeah, I think she was a prophet, uh, that however comes with all sorts of caveats and explanations as it does when we relate to the Bible as well. Um, this is a whole other episode, but, um, suffice it to say when we approach what we deem to be inspired texts. We still need to approach them with humility and wisdom. And I think I've touched on this a little bit in the past, but she and the Bible, and no, I'm not equating the two. I'm simply saying, I think Ellen White was inspired of God in a similar vein that biblical writers were inspired. I do not place her writings above scripture. Um, I think they, in her terms, are a lesser light pointing to the greater light. Um, but we need to approach them contextually. We need to understand what the context was of her writings as we do with scripture. We don't just use them indiscriminately and um, try to coerce behavior based on what we read there without proper hermeneutical understanding in place. Uh, so that's a whole topic. Revelation, inspiration, hermeneutics is a whole topic. But, um, I would also say that when it comes to reading her, um, one needs to see the big picture and that is the big picture is pointing to Jesus and God's love. And I would say I would use, there's this, these writings called the conflict of the ages series that, just basically spans the whole scope of world history, starting with the very beginning even before creation of this world and it goes down to the very end of time. Those are narrative uh, materials that give the big picture and I would use those writings as my primary controlling filter rather than what some people do by taking uh, letters that she's written to this individual or that individual and I would use the large framework to interpret the, you know, the, the individual materials rather than vice versa, which a lot of people do. So that's the way anyway, that's that's what I would do. And what I'm going to share with you this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you're listening to it, it is morning here in Bangor, um, is I'm going to share with you something that was completely revolutionary in my reading of Ellen White as I've been going afresh through her writings. Um, So I started rereading some of those books in the conflict of the ages series, uh, starting with the book, the desire of ages, which just basically goes through the life of Jesus and uh, expounds upon it. And then I went from acts of the apostles, which believe it or not is a, uh, Commentary on the Acts of the Apostles, the book in the Bible, and then I slid the neck to the next uh, book in the series, which is the final book, which is called the Great Controversy, and I started noticing something really interesting as I was going through those books. And I've also been reading more recently. Again, I've read all these books multiple times, but a book called The Ministry of Healing, another book called. Thoughts of Amount of Blessing, which I'm reading right now. Uh, of course, my all-time favorite has been Steps to Christ, although it's being replaced by Thoughts of Amount of Blessing. And then another classic one, which is Christ's Object Lessons. And I, and I started noticing something really interesting. Now, another caveat is in place. I realize that, no doubt, my reading of her writings says as much about me as it does about her it says as much about my views as it does her views it's kind of like um the analogy i would use is that my brother-in-law duncan down in florida he has a tesla and when we went to florida this last summer this last spring we were riding around in his tesla and i'm thinking you no know i never really see any teslas in maine like nobody has a tesla in maine when we come back it's like My kids, they love to point it out. Like, oh, there's a Tesla, there's a Tesla, there's a Tesla. Suddenly you see Teslas everywhere because you know someone with a Tesla. Or if you buy your own car, you're like, you're buying a new Honda Civic. You're like, yeah, nobody drives a Honda Civic. And then all of a sudden you see them everywhere. So I, all this is to say is that we are often reading, we often notice what we wanna notice. And so I will say that about, Um, what I'm seeing in Ellen White's writings. With that being said, what I noticed in her writings is that she absolutely has no patience for and interest in and sympathy for this word that I have labeled tradition. She has a lot of disdained for tradition. She, indeed, I will say it, she hates tradition. Um, And other terms that she uses is formalism, ceremonialism, superstition. And if you just take those books, those five books, Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, Desire of Ages, Acts of the Apostles, Great Controversy, you will notice that she just is constantly targeting tradition, ceremonialism, formalism, uh, superstition. And it just really got me to thinking that um, this is something that I need to pay attention to. And it kind of gave me, it kind of empowered me to realize that we need to seriously, closely examine the cultural, religious, uh, you know, ideas that we subscribe to. So what i Excuse me. What I want to do is I want to run through. I have about let's see, I don't know, six, seven pages of quotations, and these are only the highlights. There's a lot more that I could get into. I want to go through some of the the ones that get my attention the most um, about her thoughts on. And I specifically, even though I have read through these and I've underlined them and I've marked them down as I've gone through the books chronologically i've now gone back in preparation for this episode and just searched for the word tradition or traditional or traditionalism or whatever um in her writings and so these are this this is only this only scratches the surface i have about like i said five or six pages six or seven pages of just the highlights and i could i have like you know 10 more pages of other ones that I didn't even include in this. But anyway, I want to run through them and give you a flavor, a sense for the flavor of what she's saying. Um, I would, I would, uh, also say to you that if you want a copy, a hard copy of this, I'd be happy to send it to you, email it to you. This is, uh, I can, yeah, my email address is Sean at gmail.com. And I I realize, and this is one of the dangers we run into, whether it's with scripture, with Ellen White, or any writer that we could read, it's easy to take things out of context. And a lot of times that's why Ellen White or the Bible is disdained, because we wrest things from their context. And so... I recognize the danger of doing that, but I'm going to do it anyway uh, because I feel like this is in harmony with the, the tenor, the overall paradigm that she's working from. Um, and so just, yeah, email me, seanbrace at gmail.com. By the way, before I forget, I had a good friend, again, this, a couple weekends ago saying they want to hear more Camille again on the podcast. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to email Camille telling her that you want her to come on the podcast again. Her email address is Cami Brace, C-A-M-I-B-R-A-C-E at gmail.com. Send her an email and say, we want you back on the show. Okay. So uh, without further ado, I am going to read you these quotes and I'll cite for you the source and I will try my hardest, try my hardest to read them with little or no commentary. Okay. So here we go. This one, this first one, starting with prophets and Kings page 709, she writes with all these minute and burdensome exactions, it was a practical impossibility for the people that is the Jewish people to keep the law. The great principles of righteousness set forth in the Decalogue and the glorious truths shadowed in the symbolic service were alike obscured, buried under a mass of human tradition and enactment. Those who were really desirous of serving God and who tried to observe the whole law as enjoined by the priests and rulers groaned under a heavy burden, The traditions of men were a heavy burden they want to stay faithful to god but they were overwhelmed by sorry this last part is by me um this uh they were overwhelmed by these man-made traditions okay so number two desire of ages page 84 as the condition of the people began to open to jesus mind he saw that the requirements of society and the requirements of god were in constant collision Men were departing from the word of God and exalting theories of their own invention. They were observing traditional rites that possessed no virtue. Their service was a mere round of ceremonies. The sacred truths it was designed to teach were hidden from the worshipers. He saw that in their faithless faithless services, they found no peace, end quote. All right, next one. Desire of Ages, page 150, 150, Check this out. The ministry of Christ was in marked contrast to that of the Jewish elders. Their regard for tradition and formalism had destroyed all real freedom of thought or action. I just have to stop at that one. I'm sorry. I can't go on. Um tradition and formalism had destroyed all royal freedom of thought or action. That is such a incredible indictment and a sad commentary on what happens when we use tradition to try to force people into conformity. We do not allow any freedom of thought or action. That's scary. Freedom of thought. Wow. Has that been your experience? Continuing the quote, they lived in continual dread of defilement. To avoid contact with the unclean, quote unquote, they kept aloof not only from the Gentiles but from the majority of their own people, seeking neither to benefit them nor to win their friendship. By dwelling constantly on these matters, they had dwarfed their minds and narrowed the orbit of their lives. Their example encouraged egotism and intolerance among all the classes of the people, end quote. All right, next one, Desire of Ages, page 204. A lot of these are from Desire of Ages, as you'll note. Both by his words and his works of mercy, Jesus was breaking the oppressive power of the old traditions and man-made commandments and presenting the love of God in its exhaustless fullness. End quote. So she's making a distinction between the old traditions, the old man-made commandments and the love of God. All right, next quote, Desire Rages, page 242. Truth was unpopular in Christ's day. It is unpopular in our day. It has been unpopular ever since Satan first gave man a disrelish for it by presenting fables that lead to self-exaltation, do we not today meet theories and doctrines that have no foundation in the word of god men cling as tenaciously to them as did the jews to their traditions continuing the jewish leaders were filled with spiritual pride their desire for the glorification of self manifested itself even in the service of the sanctuary they loved the highest seats in the synagogue they loved greetings in the marketplaces and were gratified with the sound of their titles on the lips of men as real piety declined they became more jealous for their traditions and ceremonies end quote now just 10 pages later zaya rages page 253 the teaching of the scribes and elders was cold and formal like a lesson learned by rote to them the word of god possessed no vital power their own ideas and traditions were substituted for its teaching and quote four pages later desire rages page 257 the leaders of israel professed to be the to be the expositors of God's word, but they had studied it only to sustain their own traditions, I'm sorry, their traditions, and enforce their man-made observances by their interpretation. They made it express sentiments that God had never given. That one is a mic drop, but I do not have a mic that I'm holding because it is on a mic stand, but I would drop it if I was holding it. That one is just, I got to read it again. The leaders of Israel professed to be the expositors of God's word, but they had studied it only to sustain, sustain their traditions and enforce their man-made observances. By their interpretation, they made it express sentiments that God had never given. Wow that is quite the earful. Okay. I'm continuing. I mean, I, again, I could preach a whole sermon on these desire of ages, page 278 priests and scribes and rulers were fixed in a rut of ceremonies and traditions. Their hearts had become contracted like dried up wineskins to which he compared them while they remained satisfied with a legal religion. It was impossible for them to become the depositories of the living truth of heaven, And quote. Again, I could comment on that, but I'm going to keep going. Next one, Desire of Ages, page 279. The scribes and Pharisees had no desire. For the precious new wine, until emptied of the old traditions, customs, and practices, they had no place in mind or heart for the teachings of Christ. They clung to the dead forms and turned away from the living truth and the power of God. All right, end quote. Next one, page 286, Desire of Ages. This one is very interesting to me as it relates to the Sabbath. Desire of Ages, page 286. Christ did not hesitate to break down the wall of traditional requirements that barricaded the Sabbath. I need to pause right there for a second because that one's an interesting one. They barricaded the Sabbath through their traditional requirements. In other words, the people were not able to enjoy the Sabbath because they were so focused on and troubled by these man-made traditional requirements i wonder if the same could be said for some of us anyway i'll go on desire of ages page 398 the substitution of the precepts of men for the commandments of god has not ceased even among christians today in other words even among christians my insert today are found institutions and usages that have no better foundation than the traditions of the fathers. Such Such institutions resting upon mere human authority have supplanted those of divine appointment. Men cling to their traditions and revere their customs and cherish hatred against those who seek to show them their error. Wow. Oh my. Continuing on this same quote, let all who accept human authority the customs of the church or the traditions of the fathers take heed to the warning convey- conveyed in the words of Christ in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men end quote Next one, Desire of Ages. I still get plenty more from Desire of Ages. Page 459. Many are deceived today in the same way as were the Jews. Religious teachers read the Bible in light of their own understanding and traditions, and the people do not search the scriptures for themselves and judge for themselves as to what is truth but they yield up their judgment and commit their souls to their leaders. Woo! Let me tell you, my friends, all of us are in danger of just listening to our favorite religious figure and taking their word for it. And we don't search the scriptures ourselves, and we just take it by what other people say. She says elsewhere that we are not in the business of trying to be thinkers of other men's thoughts, other women's thoughts. I might add as well. We want to, we want to know these things for ourselves. We want to know what God thinks for ourselves and not just take somebody else's word for it. Okay. Now this one is a, whew, this one is a crazy mic drop. 671 desire of ages. It is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind by directing men to false standards, he misshapes the character. I got to read that one again. It is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the mind by directing men to false standards, he misshapes the the character again, I could go on and on and on about that one. Um, There is great danger in setting up human standards because we actually, instead of thinking that we are becoming more like God by becoming stricter in our practices and observances, we are actually having our characters be misshaped being denigrated. So I heard, I, I, again, try not to go on too much with this, but uh, somebody tweeted out yesterday that I saw legalism is not, does not have to do with one's actions. It has to do with one's motives. And while I agree with that on some level, I also disagree with that because of what this says. We could be sincerely with good motives practicing the wrong standards. That is false standards. And if we're doing that from pure motives, but we're, We're living a life of strictness. Uh, Our characters are being, are, are devolving. But anyway, next one, Desire of Ages, page 819. This is one of my favorites. Just a little bit of an alert here. Page 819, the Jewish people had been made the depositories of sacred truth, but Phariseeism had made them the most exclusive, the most bigoted of all the human race, everything about the priests and rulers, their dress, can I hear someone say amen, their customs, their ceremonies, their traditions made them unfit to be the light of the world. They looked upon themselves, the Jewish nation, as the world, but Christ commissioned his disciples to proclaim a faith, and worship that would have in it nothing of caste or country, a faith that would be adapted to all peoples, all nations, all classes of men. Oh my, I could, again, do a whole lecture on that one. But just think about it. Dress, customs, ceremonies, tradition traditions made them unfit to be the light of the world. Does the shoe fit, brothers and sisters? Does it fit? Okay, I think it's the last one from Desire of Ages. This one comes from page 8, 826. In the commission to his disciples, Christ not only outlined their work, but he gave but he gave them their message. Teach the people, he said, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Check this out. Check this out. Listen out. Listen now. Human teaching is shut out. There is no place for tradition, for man's theories and conclusions, or for church legislation. Now, this one deserves some exposition that we don't have time for. But anyway, I go on continuing. No laws ordained by ecclesiastical authority are included in the commission. None of these are Christ's servants to teach the law and the prophets with the record of his own words and deeds are the treasure committed to the disciples to be given to the world. Christ's name is their watchword, their badge of distinction, their bond of union, the authority for their course of action and the source of their success. Nothing, 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 nothing that does not bear his superscription is to be recognized in his kingdom. So brothers and sisters, by the way, end quote, brothers and sisters, let us cling to Christ. All right, moving now on to the great controversy. And it's funny because when I started reading Great Controversy afresh about uh, eight months ago, 10 months ago, I don't know when it was, I was wondering, you know, all these other parts on the life of Jesus are really like resonating with me. It's been a long time since I've read the Great Controversy, and It's often um, heralded by those who tend to be more traditional as like the present truth of our time. And um, I was thinking, well, maybe it might kind of not be as resonant with me. And then lo and behold, what do you know? I came across the same ideas. So here we are. Great controversy. Page 49. She's writing about the early Christian church as persecution ceased And Christianity entered the courts and palaces of kings, she, that is, the church, laid aside the humble, notice this this phrase, the humble simplicity of Christ and his apostles for the pomp and pride of pagan priests and rulers. And in place of the requirements of God, she substituted human theories and traditions. Wow. All right. Great controversy. Page 132. This is now speaking of Martin Luther. Here I stand, this man of great principle and conviction. Here's what she writes. When enemies appeal to custom and tradition, or to the assertions and authority of the Pope, Luther met them with the Bible and the Bible only. Here were arguments which they could not answer. Therefore, the slaves, check out this phrase, the slaves of formalism and superstition clamored for his blood as the Jews had clamored for the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, uh, formalism tradition superstition it's all enslaving it does not lead to liberty all right next one great controversy page 164 there are many at the present day thus clinging to the customs and traditions of their fathers when the lord sends them additional light they refuse to accept it because not having been granted to their fathers it was not received by them we are not placed where our fathers were. Consequently, our duties and responsibilities are not the same as theirs. We shall not be approved of God in looking to the example of our fathers to determine our duty instead of searching the word of truth for ourselves. Did you hear that, friends, brothers, sisters, loved ones? Um We're not supposed to say, well, this is the way my dad did it, or this is the way the early pioneers of our church did it, or this is the way that the founders of our local church did it, or this is the way we've always done it. We are to go to the scriptures and figure it out for ourselves. We're not to throw away everything that we've inherited from the past. Please misunderstand me. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but as always, we are to determine for ourselves, in community with one another in the present day, uh, what the Bible says to the particular topic at hand. We're not simply to just follow tradition for tradition's sake. And of course, very few people would say, oh, no, no, we're not doing it for tradition's sake. But uh, when it comes down to it, we often do. And we're not supposed to place restrictions upon people where God does not clearly place restrictions. Okay, just a couple more, believe it or not. This one now is a little farther afield from the book Christ's Object Lessons. This basically takes the parables of Jesus and um, comments on them. So this is Christ's Object Lessons, page 228. The world is perishing for want of the gospel. There is a famine for the word of God. There are few who preach the word unmixed with human tradition, end quote. All right, now, I've saved one last one that I just read yesterday in my personal worship time. And I've saved it for last because I love it, I love it, I love it so much. But it doesn't use the word tradition, but it basically scratches that very itch. And it is from the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, which I said, as I mentioned before, is quickly becoming my favorite Ellen White book. And it's from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 123. You need to buckle your seatbelt, okay? Okay. This is what she says. The effort to earn salvation by one's own works inevitably leads men to pile up human exactions as a barrier against sin. Four, seeing that they fail to keep the law, they will devise rules and regulations of their own to force themselves to obey so check this out i need to stop right here i need to explain this what she's saying basically is number one the law of god is spiritual and exhaustless exhaustless exhaustive i don't know it just it is it is far bigger than any of us could wrap our minds around like if you specifically the thoughts amount of, of blessing by the way is the exposition on the sermon on the mount and so Jesus does this in Matthew 5 where he says, you have heard it was said that you shall not, you know, kill. I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. He also says, that, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so what basically Jesus is doing is that he is, um, he is expanding the scope of the law. And he's saying it's not merely outward. It's something that takes place in the heart. And so it even judges the hidden motives and, and um, uh, issues of the heart. And so what happens is when somebody comes up against the law of God, a legalist um, actually doesn't make a big deal about God's law. He minimizes or she minimizes it. And then what they do is they set up their own rules that they can in their own strength more easily uh, obey. And so they actually lower the bar. They take things that are a lot more meaningless and easy to do, and they set those up and they make it look like that they are ultra obedient and that they are that they are hyper righteous because they're keeping these little small rules, but really on the inside, they are violating, God's actual law. And so I could give you a very easy quick example about this. Um you'll often find and I'm speaking very much to the Adventist context, you'll often find that the people that people who are the most ornery and judgmental and uh strict and traditional about say dietary practices, you will often find sexual immorality rampant in those types of communities. And I know I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but it's ha- it happens time and time again. So what they've done is they have, uh, they have taken uh, God's actual um, you know commandments, like don't commit adultery. And since they are unable to fulfill that, they will set up their own man-made laws and make themselves look good and feel good. Because they're keeping those ones, and then everyone else looks at them. And says, oh man, they're really strict and, and observant. When in fact, uh, they are simply following man-made traditions. Okay, so that's that's so. Again, picking back where we left off, for saying that they fail to keep the law, they will devise rules and regulations of their own to force themselves to obey. All this turns the mind away from God to self. His love dies out of the heart, and with it perishes love for his fellow men. Not a mystery. The, the stricter I am, the more, the more uh, legalistic I am, the less love I have for people. A system of human invention with its multitudinous exactions will lead its advocates to judge all who come short of the prescribed human standards. So then they just start judging everybody else and saying, oh, you're not as good as I am. She goes on to say, the atmosphere of selfish and narrow criticism. Stifles the noble and generous emotions and causes men to become self-centered judges and petty spies. Oh, boy. Um, this happens over and over and over again. When we follow tradition and we uh, are strict legalists, we we then judge other people and we start spying on them and we say, did you know what this person is doing? And did you know what type of music they were playing? And I used to do this, by the way, this is a confession. I used to go and, you know, I would see what people are doing and be like going back to my house or my own room and thinking, Oh man, at least I'm not as bad as they are. And I would go to other people and say, Hey, did you know what those people were doing? Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're not as spiritual as I am. All right. Anyway, we continue on Uh, a few paragraphs later. Uh, She says, the Jewish people, she's speaking mostly of the Pharisees, but she says, the Jewish people took largely, partook largely of the same spirit, intruding upon the province of conscience and judging one another in matters that lay between the soul and God. I need to read that again. The people partook largely of the same spirit, intruding upon, I love this phrase, the province of conscience and judging one another in matters that lay between the soul and God the province of conscience they intruded upon the province of conscience in other words they were trying to be other people's conscience for them and instead of allowing the holy spirit to do what the holy spirit can only do they were trying to be other people's consciences, consciences for them she goes on to say it was in reference to the spirit spirit and practice That Jesus said, judge not that ye be not judged. That is, check this out, listen to this, listen to this. Do not set yourself up as a standard. Do not make your opinions, your views of duty, your interpretations of scripture a criterion for others and in your heart Condemn them if they do not come up to your ideal. Do not criticize others, conjecturing as to their motives and passing judgment upon them. My dear brothers and sisters, have you ever come across these ideas from Ellen White? Maybe you thought she was an old judgmental fuddy dud. And yet, let me tell you, my friend, she was a raging liberal. She says, do not set up yourself as a standard. Do not make your opinions, your views of duty, your interpretations of scripture a criterion for others and in your heart condemn them if they do not come up to your ideal. You know, I find that I can do this very often where I may not say to somebody, oh, you know, you're not as spiritual as I am or even though you don't do things the way I do, I'm not gonna judge you for it and I may play that, you know, card verbally but I know in my heart I'm judging them. I'm thinking, you know what? that person is not as spiritually mature as I am, or they're not on the path of righteousness like I am, or if they're going to keep doing that, they are in danger of being lost. And she says, "Uh, no, don't do that guys. We're not used to use our own opinions, judgments, interpretations of scripture as a criterion for others. So I have read more than enough. Again, if you want to hear all these, uh, I would be happy, if you want to read all these again, I would be happy to text you them now. Not text you, email them. Seanbrace at gmail.com. Now, we've already gone here long enough, but the question now arises, why am I sharing all these with you and what do they have to do with mission? Well, this is a podcast that is a mission lab which has everything to do with mission and ecclesiology that is mission missiology study of mission ecclesiology the study of the church and how it functions and the way it operates and um what i've realized is that in my mission that I have recognized that there's just a lot of cultural stuff that we do that gets in the way of effectively making disciples. There is a lot of tradition and superstition and ceremonialism and formalism that gets in the way of experiencing community. Uh, how did she put it in that one quote? Something about friendship. Like, they didn't even offer them friendship. That's that's the challenge that they had. Um, and I do not, quite frankly, I do not want man-made traditions. I do not want man-made ceremonies and superstition to get in between me and my ability to connect with and disciple people who don't know Jesus, nor people who do know Jesus, but have been burned out by religion. And so I want to make sure that the things that I am asking of myself and the things I'm asking of others are based upon what what Jesus promotes and not what I promote or my church promotes or what, again, not to say that these things are mutually exclusive, but I want to make sure that I am living out a gospel-centered life that is based upon what God has asked of us and not what man has asked of us. Um, I want. I don't want to be in a place where I'm judging others on the basis of man-made traditions. I don't want to be in a place where I am preventing a legitimate, this is an ecclesiological observation, a legitimate communal worship of God based on man-made tradition, um, based upon... Me saying, "You know what? we're not allowed to have a drum in the sanctuary, or we're supposed to dress up in these clothes in the sanctuary, or any other and it's you know, it's not all about worship at all, um but I just don't want human ideas to come between a soul and God, and I need to be very, very, very careful that I am not putting a barricade. That's the term that she used, wasn't it? One of the terms that she uses. I don't want to put a barricade between people and God. And I, I just I just was like, when I was reading, especially that last quote yesterday, I was up in my room. It was a perfect fall afternoon and I was reading it. I was lying on my bed as I do when I'm in my worship time. And I just felt so much joy and peace like again, that's why I have become quote unquote liberal. Like I have, I'm still very, very conscientious. I still subscribe to all of the beautiful, powerful 28 fundamental beliefs, but there are some of my fellow tribes people who want the Seventh-day Adventist church to have a hundred fundamental beliefs, or they think we do. Um, and I just have this piece that I, I, I still... I love the powerful theological paradigm that our church has been blessed to understand. I don't want that to be buried under a bunch of garbage. And I don't want the beauty of Christ to be obscured by these awful, awful traditions. And you know what? let me, let me say this. And again, I'm going on, this is a long episode and I, I might go another hour here just to give you a warning. Although you already know because you see the time timestamp, but, um, I, uh, I lost my train of thought. That's what happened. Um, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Let me say this about tradition. There's nothing, absolutely positively, nothing wrong with tradition per se. Okay. If that wasn't clear, what is wrong with tradition is when we elevate tradition. Well, first of all, what's wrong with tradition is if it's not God's tradition, because scripture does speak positively of God's tradition, but it, uh, yeah, it does speak positively of tradition, but that is tradition that is based upon what God says, not what man says. But even beyond that, there is nothing wrong with man-made tradition so much as one we are clear that it is man-made tradition and not god tradition and number two we do not urge it upon other people as though their standing with god was dependent upon them embracing the tradition that we ourselves have made okay so we that's that's the problem that's that's the, the the danger we get into with man-made tradition. Also also we do not want to imply or even explicitly say that people are either in or out based upon those traditions, okay? Even even the right things, even the right beliefs we get into trouble when let's just take the seventh day Sabbath, which I think is a very, very biblical, important, beautiful idea. Um, we, even though even though it's in, in, entirely true and scriptural, the problem we run into is when we make the Sabbath a a criteria that implies that if you keep it. You're, you're, you're chosen of God. And if you don't keep it, you're not chosen of God. Or if you keep it, you're in God's favor. If you don't, you're not in God's favor. Or as though if you don't keep it, you are obviously not growing in your knowledge of God. I, what I'm more interested in, and this is part of you know, where I have, have um, grown, is I'm more interested in the direction somebody is going than where they are in that particular moment. And so I'm willing to um, give them some slack. Now, let me say this. I have no problem with a group of people uh, having a collective body of beliefs or practices that they think are important and that in order to be a part of that group, you need to get on board with it. I I don't have a problem with that. Like if you're gonna be formally a part of a group, again, where I have a problem is if being a part of that group, quote unquote, equals being a part of God's family or being a part of, uh, you know, God's love or salvation. Um, I think it's, again, I think it's okay for me to say, you know what, if you're going to be a part, you know, if you're going to be, uh, working with us, you know, keeping the Sabbath is going to be, you know, it's a pretty important thing. We're not going to, you know, dislike you because you don't keep it uh and if you don't want to that's fine we're not going to try to force you to we're not going to try to twist your arm and if you don't we're not going to say that god doesn't love you or that you can't go to heaven um so anyway this is a whole kind of jumbled bit of random thoughts here but so i am i'm not against tradition per se it's when we elevate human tradition to be on the level of of god's word and then we use human tradition as the criteria by which we judge other people's spiritual maturity or their standing with God or whether they are loved by God or whether they are are, are in a quote-unquote saving relationship with Jesus. And so I just want to be very careful how I approach it. And I'm just willing, like today, in this day and age, I am willing, where I am in my thinking now, I am willing to give people a lot more rope in their spiritual growth and maturity. Um, And I do not want to set myself up as a standard. I do not want, I'm paraphrasing, or I'm just inserting my terminology here into this last quote I gave to you. I do not want to make my opinions, my views of duty, my interpretations of scripture, the criteria for others, and in my heart condemn them if they don't agree with me or measure up to my ideal. I don't want to do that. I know I, I even in my advanced maturity here, I still do it, I know. And so I want to over, by God's grace, overcome that. I just want to give people the space to grow and to um, learn for themselves what God would have them do and how how he would have them live. Now, am I going to not you know, encourage them in certain convictions that I have. No, it's not what I'm saying. Am I not going to, you know, point to what I understand scripture to be saying? Of course I'm gonna to point to what I understand scripture to be saying, but I'm gonna do it humbly and I'm not going to try to force anyone to do any any of it by manipulation or coercion or bribery or threats or whatever. I want to give them the space. I wanna lift up Jesus and Jesus alone and have the spirit do the convicting even as I do some encouraging okay so I trust after almost an hour of pontificating that this has been helpful for you um, I think we have such a powerful We have such a powerful theological paradigm. We have such an awesome mission that God has invited us to participate in. And yet we get so derailed and sidetracked by garbage. And I don't want to do that anymore. And that's why I, my friends, that's how I became liberal because I started really paying attention to what Ellen White says, among other things. Okay. So those are my thoughts for today. Episode 81, Ellen White hates tradition or how I became liberal. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll be back again soon. And again, if you want Camille to jump on here, send her an email, Cami C-A-M-I-B-R-A-C-E at gmail.com. Encourage her to come back on. And encourage me, seanbrace at gmail.com to pump out some more of these episodes. And again, if you want those quotes, I can send you the unabridged version as well. Um, seanbrace at gmail.com. Hope you have a blessed rest of your day and happy fall. And we'll talk to you again soon via Mission Lab. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ergang. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast.